Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Ted Ramey along with you as always, and I hope that you're all happy and healthy and enjoying yourselves on a Monday morning or whenever it is that you're tuning into this latest episode. Some of the news that happened in the last week. Pretty much right after I uploaded the last episode, word came down that the AHL was canceling the remainder of its regular season and the playoffs, which, I mean, for a multitude of reasons, that's just very, very much unfortunate. It's a stark reminder of the reality that we're living in, but ultimately, these teams, the league, everyone is looking at what is best moving forward. We know how much the AHL relies on the gate. If they're not going to be getting those people in the stands, that's going to severely hamper their ability to conduct business. But you look at the individual players, you look at guys that were developing, you look at guys that were maybe turning a corner, you look at guys who are just out there trying to prove themselves day in, day out. I mean, these are guys that are established veterans, young players, guys in the middle of their career, guys who are still trying to prove themselves to be ready to take that next step. These are opportunities for them that have been taken away. And not that these opportunities are any greater than anyone else that's been affected by COVID-19, that's had opportunity, that's had work, that's had business taken away. Of course, it's it's all equal. It's just another unfortunate reality of what we're dealing with right now at this time in human history. But again, because this is a hockey talk show, we express just how frustrated we are and how frustrated these players and coaches and teams must be. And, you know, it sucks. I, you know, there's there's... I keep on coming back to all of this, and I'm of two minds that I believe all the experts. I listen to everything they say, and I think they're right to tell us the things that they want us to do in terms of social distancing, in terms of risk management, all these things. But the other reality of it is this sucks. There's no other way to go about it. And I'm not trying to diminish anyone's take on things that we look at and say, well, this is a one way of looking at it, or this is another way of looking at it. Like, listen, I, I get all of it. I understand everyone's frustration, but the ultimate reality about all of this is that it's just, it's a crappy situation. Again, for a multitude of reasons. And the AHL being the latest victim of the coronavirus is just the latest reminder of what a crappy situation this is. So I remind people that there is an end at some point. There will be a better way to manage this disease. There will be a vaccine. There will be some light at the end of the tunnel. But right now, We are in the midst of one of the most impactful moments of human history, and that's taking its toll on sports, which means it's taking its toll on all of us. But in terms of what it meant for the San Jose Barracuda, it had obviously been a rough season, the worst since they'd moved out from Worcester. This was a team that was playing better, though. It looked like they were maybe potentially turning a corner. It looked like they were maybe finding themselves. They had been getting lots of good performances. They were an overall extremely young team. 
And of course, there were going to be growing pains, but this was a transitional year for the San Jose Sharks in which they were trying to incorporate a lot of those younger players who were getting the opportunity at the AHL level to then get an opportunity at the NHL level, which meant there was a lot of up and down movement. And then, of course, the shakeup with the coaching staff. There were a lot of factors going against the Barracuda this year, and that's not to make any excuses for them. And I'm sure that all the players and the coaches and everyone inside the Sharks front office staff and beyond is going to tell you that they always want the most they can get out of their teams and that they have an extremely high standard and where they set the bar for these guys. But it, it was it was an, a weird year for the San Jose Barracuda. Again, you, you lose your head coach. The coaching staff gets switched around. Players have more upward and downward movement. These are all factors at play, and I'm not trying to deny that, but you try to give context to everything you've seen on the ice. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to get into the interview that I had with Sharks assistant general manager and Barracuda general manager, Joe Will. He'll have a lot to say about the season. You don't want to miss his comments and a uh, really good conversation. I really appreciate my conversations with Joe. He's a uh, he's a fun guy to talk to. gives really detailed and really interesting answers, so I think you're all going to enjoy that. The other comment that was kind of making some waves this week was from Martin Jones, and it was interesting to hear his take on what happened to the San Jose Sharks this year. We've heard Eric Carlson this week saying that, you know, he thought that next year for the Sharks, whenever next year, quote unquote, is, uh, you know, that's that's yet to be determined. But, you know, Carlson said that he thought next year was going to be better, that it wasn't going to be anything like this past year. And I hope that he's right. Obviously, you want to see the San Jose Sharks playing the way that we all think they're capable of playing. But Martin Jones said that when the going got tough for the San Jose Sharks, instead of everyone coming together they all went their separate ways. Now, there are a couple of different ways to interpret these comments. I don't think he's trying to call out the team. I don't think he's trying to call out his teammates. I don't think he's trying to call out specific players individually. I think if I'm going to interpret this, what he's saying is that instead of the team all kind of rallying around each other is that everybody tried to do it themselves. And that's just my own interpretation of what I hope he was trying to say because Martin Jones does not seem like the type of guy that would call out his teammates and try and point a finger of blame or try and say the chemistry inside the dressing room is bad or anything like that. That doesn't seem anything like his personality. And I think that the the quote was very much hard to derive true context from. But my interpretation of it is, is that He's looking at his team and saying, instead of everyone coming together, everyone tried to do it themselves. I don't think he's speaking to some sort of great separation inside the team or any sort of great problem with team chemistry. I was in the dressing room after some big wins this year and after some big losses. I talked to these guys. There was never some great divide. There was never some massive elephant in the room. Even when they were at their worst, the team seemed like they were very much on the same page, ready to fight, ready to make things turn and try and get it done in the next game. And I think that speaks well of what the San Jose Sharks were trying to do. But I think that what Martin Jones speaks to is that the team was not on the same page on the ice and that everybody was trying to do it themselves as opposed to the team doing it together. So again, you can view this as Martin Jones calling out the team. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's just saying the reality is that instead of the team figuring out a way to get it done together on the ice, everybody was trying to do it themselves. And I understand the mentality because that's what we look to in sports. It's when things are going bad, we say, who's going to step up? Who's going to take over the moment? 
who's going to be the guy that turns things around. And I think that when you have players like Eric Carlson, like Brent Burns, like Logan Couture, like Evander Kane, like Tomas Hurdle, like Joe Thornton, like Patrick Marlowe, and all these guys have, when there's so much talent on a team and there's so many big names, everybody looks to themselves to be the guys that turn it around. And I understand that. You start pressing, you start gripping, things aren't happening, you're not playing to the same level that you're used to from yourselves or what you're used to from your teammates. That's what I think Martin Jones is talking about, that guys tried to do it on their own as opposed to the team being able to get it done. And there were some people that said, well, Martin Jones is one to talk considering that his performance was not on par as what it was a few years ago. His five-on-five save percentage was the worst among goalies who played at least 1,000 full-strength minutes this past season, and the Sharks allowed more full-strength goals than any other team but the Detroit Red Wings. This is, of course, citing the article from Marcus White on NBC Sports Bay Area. But as is also noted, no goalie has played in more regular season and playoff games or played more minutes since Jones joined the Sharks in 2015-2016, the year that they went to the Stanley Cup final. And another thing that you can look to in terms of is getting more rest to Martin Jones, part of how the Sharks are going to make themselves a better team. He did play better once we saw more play from Aaron Dell. Now, was that because he was suddenly in a competition that he hadn't been in before? Or was it because he was getting more rest? You can look at it both ways. It's an interesting discussion, but I do think Martin Jones would benefit from rest, but also he knew his performance had to be better and he probably got a little bit more time to work on his game once Arundel was playing more games than he did over the past previous couple of seasons when he'd seen a decline in performance. So, of course, it's a factor. It's all a factor. As we look ahead to the potential of a 24-team playoff bracket being set up by the NHL, we know that it does not include the San Jose Sharks. And The stark reality is that it shouldn't. I mean, as much as that pains me to say, the Sharks did not perform up to their own lofty standard this year. They fell on their faces at several points, blew a lot of late game leads, just collapsed in just the worst time and the worst situation. I don't think there was any worse one than in Washington when they were taking it to the best team in the NHL and suddenly blew it in the final minute of the game. That shouldn't happen. And while we all wanted to see the Sharks in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, it was pretty evident by the time December came to an end that that was not going to be the reality. But you look forward to next year, and you hope that what we saw half a decade ago when the San Jose Sharks missed the playoffs, what they do the next year, they found themselves in the Stanley Cup final. So hopefully that is a reality we are looking at next year, whenever next year may come. All right, we are going to turn the page. And we now have joining us the general manager of the San Jose Barracuda and the assistant general manager of the San Jose Sharks. It is Joe Will. Joe, it is good to see you, and I'm glad that you are looking happy and healthy. How are you doing, my friend? Not bad, Ted. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm just flashing back to the conversation we had a couple months ago. You were, I think, headed to the airport on the team bus. We were talking about normal hockey activities and. Now, you know, normal or whatever sense of the word we're trying to ascribe to that, the hockey world, the world at large is anything but. And uh, just before we get, you know, down to the business of hockey, I'll just ask how you've been handling this entire situation as a, on a personal level and on a professional level. Well, thanks for asking that. It, uh, you know, on a personal level, I think like everybody else, we've adjusted. It's been a sobering moment. You've, uh, 
you know, there's been some positives for family time and other things, uh, you know, that you prioritize in your life. But, uh, you know, on the, on the sports end, uh, you know, it's, it's been unique. Uh, but we've had a lot of work with, with preparing for potential drafts and, and free agency and starting back up and things like that. So as far as the hockey goes, there's still a lot of hockey uh, behind the scenes, you know, for us to meet on and things like that. And, but minus the games and minus uh, the travel. And I guess I'll ask you about the process of the AHL coming to the decision to just call it quits, no hope of returning. Um, was that, did all the minds, did all the collectives of the league come together or was this, I mean, I'm not a unilateral decision, but how, I guess how does that process come about where everybody says we're not going to be able to resume? Yeah, I believe it was, it was pretty close to unilateral because, you know, for this season in, in a sense, because it's, uh, you know, we're a, a gate-driven league with fans and that didn't appear that that was going to uh, have any possibility of happening for the rest of the year. Uh, would we have all liked to get out there and, and have seen our players develop a little bit more? Yes, but we didn't think that that was imminent either. So, you know, uh, it, it's a little different scenario than the NHL in that regard. So the board, board of governors left it open for quite a while. And then at the end of the day said, you know what, let's, let's close it up and focus on, on next year. I guess some of the things that people don't pay attention to is they don't realize that every team is as lucky to be in a situation like the Barracuda are with that direct affiliation with the Sharks. Not every team has the exact same type of financial backing, for lack of a better term, that just it makes the Barracuda lucky, but that's it's more of a reality like you allude to with the Gates for the entirety of the league as opposed to just our microcosm of the San Jose hockey team. Yeah, we're, we're very blessed to have an owner like Hasa Plotner who, you know, uh, envisioned having their development affiliate right, right in our backyard here. So when we moved out from Worcester five years ago, uh, that was the plan to make it, you know, uh, primarily about development. And, and uh, you know, we do, uh, we do like to run it, you know, obviously like, like a lot of other AHL teams, we want to have full buildings and everything else when that's, when that's possible. And that's the reason why we're building the new facility and such. But, uh, uh, you know, primary goal is, is really to be here, develop players for the San Jose Sharks uh, and, uh, and along the way and, and have, a, have a great AHL product that our, that our fans can come and watch at the same time. I guess I'll ask about the, the new facility. Do we have an update on the projected timeline of that or how that's been impacted by, by the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, well, I know John Gustafson and, and his staff, they're working hard with the city on, on you know, starting that up. But I think one of the next phases, I believe, is, is construction in our, in our society restart and everything. So I, I think that's, you know, on the horizon to, to kind of start up with working on the project. Uh, that, that's more in uh, uh, John Gustafson's uh, uh, area here. But I, I do know that they're, they're working hard on it and they, they, ex, uh, you know, they expect it to start up as soon as the, the uh, they're allowed to. In terms of your view of the season, obviously things were not going the way that we'd seen in the previous five years. But at the same time, this was a roller coaster of a year for you guys. You had more up and down movement from the roster to the NHL level. You had your coaching staff uh, shaken up, if not even halfway through the season. How much do you juxtapose those realities with the fact that there's still a lofty standard for what you have for the team and its play on the ice. Yeah, the, the standard never changes. Uh, you're right. Uh, it, it was a, it was a tough start. You know, if, if we look at the standings and that's, that tells, 
that tells just one story of the season. We, we got off to a rough start and, and never really were able to uh, uh, climb back up there, uh, you know, far enough. But having said that, yeah, a lot of positive things happened. Uh, we were able to have 16 players play for both the Barracuda and the Sharks this year. So uh, the Barracuda did their job as far as developing players for the San Jose Sharks, getting them ready to play in the National Hockey League. There are some very good stories in there, uh, you know, throughout the year with Noah Gregor and, and, and Shellman and, and True. And, I mean, 16, 16 players came up. Uh, the other thing, too, is is in the last uh, 13 games of the year, the Barracuda earned points in 11 of those 13 games in points of each of the last six and had a decisive victory in the last game over Stockton, a team that we were really struggling to beat. You know, we beat them 7-4. to four and, and so we're starting to figure things out, which is, is kind of what happens in the uh, American League, especially when you have young players. We were the youngest team in the league at 23 years old. Yeah. At uh, the – you know, just a learning curve throughout the year. Our, our team was funny. If you would watch, we'd have certain games where we were just dominant. The skill was, you know, we were slinging the puck around and, and, and exciting and big scores and everything else. But we were really unable to win the close games uh, when we were either up by a goal or two or down by a goal or two. And that's a sign of a young team just not having that savvy to figure it out. Like, oh, this game is close. How do we win this? So they, they had the, the – the ability, the skill, things like that, but it was really a, a tale of experience and, and the experience that they, they grabbed in the latter parts of the year. You talked about in the uh, season-ending presser uh, or the season cancellation presser, I don't even know what we should call that, but you talked about that 150-game mark for prospects, and you know you referenced a couple players, if you could, because I think that's a really interesting topic that was discussed in terms of development from the AHL towards the NHL level? Yeah, we believe it's, it's a norm for a, a, a big chunk of players, you know, especially players that, that their entree into the league is going to be detailed play. You know, a player like Alexander True, you'll, you'll have some exceptions in the league, first, some first-round picks and some, some high-skill players that they go right into the National Hockey League developed there because you just need their skill at that level. But barring that, uh, you know, a lot of other players, they have to go to the American League and learn the details of how to be defensive, a two-way player, all these little uh, nuances that, you know, when they're ready to go up to the NHL, uh, they, they can't make those mistakes, either, um, you know, at least at the, the same level. And we figure that's usually a couple of years or 100, 150 games. We like to sprinkle a few recalls in there if possible throughout there. And that's kind of what happened with Alexander True, you know, mm-hmm years in the American League and then uh, and then he earned the recall and uh, you know we saw some promising things within there so that's that's kind of almost a uh, you know following the standard that we've seen over the years for players such as that you know if you look back uh, and, and remember Ryan Carpenter was on a similar path uh, the Barkley Goodrow's path uh, when when he was with the the CUDA was you know even it, it was different but similar you know he went to the NHL right away but he ended up having to go back to the American League so uh, majority of players, they, they need uh, not just a few games, but, but uh, uh, a season or two in the American Hockey League. When we talked before, I believe it was in early January, you talked about wanting to get the European guys used to the American game. You talked about getting them um, just to kind of understand the, 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 con- the constrictions of the, of the rink and the constraint they might need to have in terms of playing on an on a overall smaller level of ice out there. I guess now that you're looking at more European prospects coming in, is there or were there more direct learning lessons that you've been putting together 
over this year and the last couple of seasons that will allow you to work some of these new prospects into the American style and the shark style of hockey um, with more alacrity. Yeah, I think we're, we're very integrated with, with that game. And as we discussed before, you know, we have uh, Evgeny Nabokov, we have Nicholas Sundstrom, we have European players on our staff, uh, you know, played for the Sharks. So they played in the National Hockey League, but they understand the, the, the game in their, in their home country. So, uh, you know, was able to take Shellman. He, he almost followed that perfectly throughout there that, you know, he had a few months in the American League. Uh, again, almost fast track the thing that we talked about, the 150 games. Those players generally a little bit older, uh, played at a higher level of hockey. So when they come into the American Hockey League, it goes, goes a bit quicker. That's what happened with uh, Joel Shellman. That's what we happened in the future with uh, uh, Handemark, who, uh, who we just signed. And, and so, uh, yeah, we've learned an awful lot about that. Is, is, you know, that's, that's really important to us is, is getting players ready right away. You saw how uh, over the years how quickly we could use uh, uh, Jonas Donskoy into our lineup, uh, uh, use uh, Melker Carlson when, when he came in and, and a number of players uh, uh, that came from Europe. Now, Handemark, you mentioned he was with the uh, Malmo Redhawks, right? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. It's a great name, by the way. <laughs> Immediately caught my mind. But if you could, this is a 26-year-old center, free agent. He's had experience at the international level. What was it that you all saw in him and how, you know, in terms of that transition, what are you looking at and saying these are the aspects of his game that we like and that we need to transition or that we can transition quickly to the AHL and NHL level? Well, just what we like about him, number one, is he's huge. You know, he, he's 6'4 in the 220s, and, and he's, uh, uh, when you see him, just a, just a huge man, uh, you know, uses that, that big body well. Um, you know, just a, a really trustworthy centerman on face-offs, on, on defensive play and such, uh, captain of his teams, uh, you know, just so many good things that, that – trustworthy type of uh, elements and and especially we've seen that uh, you know probably more than any other league in Europe the Swedish league uh, and and good Swedish organizations uh, guys that can play at that type of level play hockey like that we saw Melker Carlson uh, similar to the Sheleftia program over there um, you know where it was a successful program and it really translated with uh, a transition to the NHL the, the Melmo program and what Handemark's been through is similar. And in terms of some of the other recent signings, uh, Alexei Melnichuk, uh, if you could just speak a little bit about what um, your reactions were to him as a player, what you're seeing. And then there's also been a lot of hype around him as well. I mean, this was a guy who was scouted by several NHL teams playing at the KHL level, which, you know, depending on who you ask, I think we would all agree is probably the second league in the world compared to the NHL. Um, you know, this is a 21-year-old goalie with a lot of hype. How does that change your approach? And then, I guess, is, is he aware of the hype that surrounds him? I think he is. Uh, we had a call with him this week. It was uh, uh, Doug Jr., Tim Burke, uh, Nabby, and myself. Uh, and, and Doug talked to him earlier right around the contract time. So we've all been on the phone with him a few times. But we had about a half hour, 45-minute call to talk about uh, uh, setting up for this year. Does he need anything? Does he want to discuss anything about playing here and such? And, and uh, number one is, is, uh, is really exciting because his English was great. He tried to answer everything in English until the – latter parts of the call when we got into some more complicated hockey things and Navi had to jump in and translate. Mm -hmm. He was pushing the answer in English. Um, he was laughing. He was busting our chops a little bit. So all these little things that we like to see, you know, um, with the player, we said right away, we said, 
I think the players are going to like him. I think he's going to integrate the locker room quite well because, you know, players see when somebody's trying to speak English and when they're, they're kind of like they're, they're excited about everything. And he's, he's very excited about playing for us. And, and we did recognize that there were so many teams and, and we feel, you know, really fortunate that he did the, uh, choose to come with us. And, and I think a lot of that was uh, his talks with Navi and the uh, re- recruitment process, not only about the opportunity here, uh, but the uh, the coaching and the history of being able to work with Navi and, and such. So, so he was, he was very excited for that. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's a player, he's only 21 years old, uh, yeah. put up great stats his whole career, uh, done it at the KHL um, level uh, consistently. And uh, you know, he's athletic and aggressive and, and pretty, uh, he's not a huge man. He's about six one, so he's right in that average kind of goalie size. And so, you know, everything kind of checked off on him, and and, and we're excited. And you know, like uh, we said, with him and Handemark, uh, Pasichuk, um, we we're able to get some some pretty high level free agents in the uh, open marketplace there outside of the NHL that we think you know the, the learning curve will be really short uh, to to get them to the NHL. Um, and, and they're all pretty close right now. I'm curious because I know that the network of scouts and GMs in the hockey world is so very tight. When there is a highly touted prospect that people are going after, do you all kind of laugh at the fact that you're maybe doing a little bit of BSing of each other or trying to play it cool or that there's some posturing when you know everybody's looking at the same player but you, you don't want to show your hand too early? Or is that just kind of part of the game that you're getting into when you, when you sign up for this job? Yeah, it's a, it's a little. That's a cool part. It's pretty clandestine. Sometimes when you go in a rink and and you you can see you, you kind of know that maybe this player is the only player that that is really of interest to all these teams in there. And you'll see GMs and scouting directors, and you go, "Oh crap! How are we going to ever talk to this guy?" Sometimes we'll choose not to talk to the guy, not tip our hand that we have interest, and so so that that whole game is kind of part of it as well because you're all kind of competing for his services and such, but. Uh, you know, we're usually on that with our scouts. We're we're pretty proactive, not reactive with it. So we, you know, we set up our, our meetings. Uh, uh, you know, quite frankly, even before this, we we've done a lot of them, given where people are in the world on on Zoom and such. And uh, so we do reach out and talk to the players. And when we get opportunities, to talk to them at the rink after a game, we will. But oftentimes, uh, with other teams in there, we kind of have to hide that because uh, you know we assume that they all have opportunity for them as well. And, and, you know, they've all done their homework. So I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting in the recruitment process, but then in a couple of these, it, it all goes down to relationships. Like uh, Nabby formed a great relationship with Melnichuk and, and was able to kind of bring that home. And, and uh, uh, Doug Wilson Jr. with uh, Brinson Pasichuk, uh, you know, saw him over and over in Arizona State. And, and brought other scouts in, and, and we saw him quite a bit in there, and, and Shin Larson and, and uh, Nicholas Sundstrom with Handemark. So the, the relationship part of it is, uh, you know, part. It, it's a lot like, I guess, college recruitment in that sense, because they're, uh, uh, you know, guys like uh, Pasichuk and, and Melnichuk and such, we, we, we think that there are, you know, more than 20 teams after them in the initial, and then they kind of go through a phase of they're down to 10, they're down to five, down to three, and then, and then they give you the call and say, we're coming with you. And it's a pretty exciting time. Now, I'm curious because you mentioned the relationships. One of the signings of the offseason was John Leonard, who's a former roommate and teammate of a guy like Mario Ferraro. And I asked him, I said, hey, did the Sharks you know, ask you at all about him? And he was very you know, deferring and say, no, no, they, you know, they don't care what I think. But 
I mean, I have to imagine that if you have a resource like that, you can say, okay, this guy was able to, you know, play alongside Mario Ferraro, who was able to make that jump very successfully. Does that play into a factor at all? Or did you ask Mario at all? Or did you say, we're just going with our normal scouting that we don't, we don't need to have a biased opinion or maybe not even biased, but maybe just a, a friend's opinion of another guy's game because that can maybe muddy the waters. Yeah, well, it, it's funny in the, um, you know, we, we got to see him a little bit more because we, uh, uh, we, we had both players there and because, you know, their, their team, they, they, they're an exciting team. Their first year, they're kind of putting it together. And the, uh, uh, the next year they, you know, had that magical season went to the NCAA finals and such. Um, you know, so we got to see both of them along the way. They became very good friends. Yesterday, we were on a phone call. It was actually uh, uh, Tim, uh, Doug Jr., and myself. We were on with uh, with Mario, and we were talking about John Leonard at the end, and we said, you know what, uh, uh, you've been through it. It's important for you to to share that with uh, with Johnny. And, and they, talk, uh, they talk pretty much every day. They're pretty good friends uh, along the way. So, you know, as far as um, we, we – Use players' input. Uh, you know, players will, will tell us sometimes if we ask them, sometimes even if we don't ask them, you can get the sense on, on who, who are the leaders on a team, who are the, uh, the, the character guys that, that we like and such. So we, do, we do ask players. It's important to hear it from other players. Uh, and, and over time, we, we heard great things on both, you know, as you know, special uh, Mario is with, with talking with them. Um, you know, Johnny Leonard uh, grabbed a lot of that too, and that's, uh, he was a big piece of that UMass team. Uh, you know, last year as well. You know, you talk about these these friendships, these networks, these relationships, and obviously there's a standard, a very high standard of personality and type of player that comes into San Jose, both with the Barracuda and the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, lately in the hockey world, there have been some high-profile incidents involving the leaking of direct, direct messages and text messages. Is that now becoming more of your reality where you're telling these guys, like, everything's on record, don't say anything that you would not want to publicly put out on Twitter or go in front of a microphone and say, because this is, I mean, it is more of the, the reality in the hockey world. Yeah, we do. We mentioned that we, you know, we say uh, on there is, uh, you know, San Jose is a small town. You, you represent your teammates, you represent yourself, you represent the organization. Uh, be careful what you do. Everything is on record. And, and, you know, ultimately it's, you know, you, you do your character checks on people, you do your best with that, and then you, you hope that there's a, a peer pressure amongst each other to, you know, to do things the right way. And think, things happen, and very, very unfortunate uh, uh, things at, uh, at times, like I, I think you're uh, alluding to. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we do our best to try and talk, talk about it multiple points of the year, and, and both leagues have, uh, you know, education in place uh, for that as well for these young men. And I guess what we'll finish up with here is just the, the preparations for the draft and the uncharted waters and the, you know, what exactly that, how it's impacted you because you don't get the same ability to go out and scout and look at tape that's as recent, things of that nature. How different has your job been in this specific aspect of leading up to the draft process or being in that draft process? What's well, Interesting because our, our scouts are all over the world. We've used uh, collaborative video platforms for, for quite a while, all, all the way back to where you, you can put everybody's pictures up, but what we can do is put our draft list up and share it. Uh, I think that was like the original go-to meeting, but that was probably 10 years ago plus, and, and we would do it. So our, our scouts are, are pretty good with the, the tech platforms uh, right now and, and you know the, 
newer Zoom platforms really help for us to throw up video or throw up, uh, uh, you know, lists on the board and kind of share them at the same time. So, you know, that part we've been using for a while. Um, so we, you know, most seasons uh, go into into March. So we got, I would say in, in most leagues, we got 80 to 90% of the games. We miss playoff games, which are, are helpful. Um, we play, uh, interviews are right on, on par. We interview players early in the season, middle of the season, and we follow up end of the year, which we just ended up having to do by video, but it's a combination of in-person and video anyway. Um, for the physio aspect, uh, we're, we're not going to have an NHL combine to get those testing results, but quite often teams do a lot of testing on their own, especially like say the USA development program where there's a number of players. So they have a lot of test scores. So we just get them directly from there. So we may do with whatever we can on the information. It is a little bit different. It's, it's pretty complete. You know, we missed the playoffs this year. We missed a formal combine. Short of that, I think everything is pretty much in place versus a normal year. And then on the other hand, um, you know, a lot of times hey, your NHL team might be in the playoffs, your AHL team might be in the playoffs. You have all this other stuff going. And, and on the other side of it is, is maybe we've even had more time to talk about the draft. So, so maybe that even makes up for the lack of, of some of the information. I like that. You're seeing the, uh, the, the positive within the negative, Joe. So I, I appreciate that. That's what I've been trying to do myself. Well, I will let you go. I've, I've always appreciated our conversations, and I, I am very much looking forward to when we can chat again when hockey has resumed, whether or not that's in front of fans we have yet to see. But hopefully, you know, we look forward six months from now, seven months, eight months, that there are full arenas and there are fans and there are, you know, a, a sense of normalcy. But uh, having conversations this hockey-centric are good for me, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll do it again soon. All right, man? All right. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. Again, that is Joe Will, general manager of the San Jose Barracuda and the assistant general manager of the San Jose Sharks. Always really fun and interesting talking to Joe, and you look forward to some of these prospects, especially guys like Melnichuk, Pashnuk, Leonard, all these guys. They represent the future of the franchise, and there's a lot of growth and a lot of development to do, but I think that from what we've seen, we, the Sharks have the ability to develop these guys. And the fact that the ability to develop these guys has been interrupted for the time being by the coronavirus, it's just, well, like I said earlier, it sucks. But that sentiment can be ascribed to the entirety of this situation with the coronavirus. Like I said earlier, I believe the experts. I think the shelter in place is the right thing to do. And I like that we are potentially taking steps to come back to sports, to come back to more of a sense of normalcy. But it's caused a big delay, it's caused a big interruption, and it's obviously hurt the individual people of this country on a different level than it's hurt those of us as sports fans and media members because you know so many people are out of work and so many people have lost loved ones. That's, of course, the real damage out of this, but like I said earlier, the fact that these guys are having their careers interrupted by this, the fact that we all have our entertainment taken away from us, that we have some of us, our livelihoods taken away from us by sports being shut down, it all just adds up to this being, again, pretty crappy situation that hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. I believe there is, and I think that we're taking the right steps as a sports society and as a country to move forward in terms of our treatment, in terms of our ability to live with this virus until we get a vaccine. So for now, we have to be patient, as frustrating as it is, but soon we will have sports, soon we will have hockey 
back with us again. Before we wrap up, I want to give a big thanks to Assistant General Manager of the San Jose Sharks and General Manager of the San Jose Barracuda, Joe Will, for joining me. I really enjoy talking to Joe, and I can't wait till we can do it uh, at the rink. And, uh, you know, it's it's a future that you have to look forward and smile to because you know how good it'll be to be out there and see your friends and see these people who are so active in the Sharks organization. And, you know, the idea of seeing a full arena again that's going to be a very emotional night. Whenever that does come to fruition, it's probably a ways off, but it's going to be pretty awesome. But thank you to Joe Will. Thank you to you for tuning in as always. And a big thanks for the San Jose Sharks for making this show a reality. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. 